Thank you, Craig. Um, like he said, my name is Mike, and I will be doing or working through with you guys the story of Joseph for the next six weeks. And so, um, for those of you who don't know, um, the study or the series that we're going to be doing in Joseph, the reason we've titled this Twist and Turns is because there's some things that happen in Joseph's life um, that maybe you can relate to or relate with. And so, my goal uh, for the next few moments and for the next six weeks is for you to be able to relate with what Joseph is going through, number one, that you would be able to say, man, I have went through things similar like that. There's some principles for me to apply. Or number two, um, you would be able to say, man, I haven't been through something like that, but maybe someone at my table, someone in my family um, has, and I want to be able to help them. So tonight, we're going to talk about Genesis 37. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there. Um, If you're new to the Bible, it's in the very front. You can't miss it. Genesis starts with a G. Uh, The big number is the chapter 37. The little numbers are the verses if you're new to it. And I'm going to be sitting in there for quite some time tonight. But um, all I want to let you guys know is uh, if you've been here a while and you kind of know, Craig, like I'll just promise you right now I'm not as funny as the guy. I'm not as tall as the guy. I'm not as good looking as the guy. I mean, he just walks up. Everybody starts laughing. He just said something about a wedding cake. I don't even know what he said. You guys are laughing. But what I will do and what I hope to promise is this, that I just want to teach you God's word. I just want to faithfully put it in front of you. If you've never read the Bible and it's new to you, I hope it is understandable. You're like, man, that makes sense. And if you've been around the Bible for quite some time, I hope there's some things you're able to say, man, I see that. I get that too. Or I can walk away with this one thing tonight. And by the time when we sit down, or you guys are sitting down, by the time we get to the discussion, um, there would be some conversation for you and something to talk about. So tonight is about expectations. And then next week, we're going to talk about um, sexual sin and how to avoid that or how to deal with that when it comes your way. Uh, We're going to talk about how to be faithful where you are, where God has put you, whether you want to be there or not, how to be faithful where he has you. And uh, week five, we're going to talk about how, what to do if you have made decisions in your life which have been mistake after mistake after mistake, how does God want you to respond And then the last week, we're going to talk about how to give and how to receive forgiveness. And so hopefully, if this is your first time here, I hope you would make it a point to invest for the next six weeks if you'd be willing to do so. Or if you've been here for some time, I want to let you know where we're going. But um, as I'm getting there and talking about expectations, um, each and every one of us could share a story about how you expected something to happen in your life And it didn't really happen the way you thought it did. If you've been around for any amount of time, you thought maybe marriage would be a certain way. And maybe it was better or maybe it was worse than you thought. And maybe for some of you, uh, you had kids. You thought it was going to be better or maybe it's worse. I I just had my first uh, child, a girl, Kinsley May, was born. I left here two weeks ago Thursday night. And I remember I said to Bobby, I said, I think the baby's coming soon. I got home. My wife's in labor. She's I'm like, what, what, you call me? Like, what the heck? So I get home, had the baby. It's great. I just didn't know I was going to not sleep for two weeks. No one told me that. So anyway, it's great. I just didn't know that. Anyway, uh, there's certain aspects of life where expectations are not met. And so um, I was 19 years old, and I was dating a a girl who lived in Florida at the time, and I had a conversation with my father. And I said, hey, Dad, I think I want to marry this girl. He said, okay. And I said, but before we do that, I would like to move her up to Ohio. And he said, that's not a good idea. And I said, Dad, I know you're wise, but I would like to do this anyway. Thanks for your input. So we moved her up. 
And in the midst of moving her up, uh, she had lived here. She had lived at my brother's house with his wife and kids, and I lived at my parents' house. Everything was, seemed like above water, and I was really praying, thinking that this is who God had for me. Well, in the midst of that time, in the midst of the three-month period, I really came to the conclusion that my dad, shocker, he was right. I was wrong. You know, that, that one hit me like a brick wall. And he was right. And I said, hey, Dad, I don't, I don't think she's the right one. I think I got to, you know, ship her back like Amazon, like get her out of here. And he said, he said, well, Mike, you know what that means? And I said, yeah, she's got to drive back tomorrow. He was like, no, that means you will drive her back tomorrow at a 16-hour drive. You're not just going to let this girl drive back by herself with all her stuff. So anyway, um, I drove that girl back right here, 2 in the morning. We left, 16-hour drive. Just imagine, just imagine the car ride. I just broke up with her. How you doing? Good? Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, toll's coming up. You got any money? No, I'm just kidding, I didn't. My dad would kill me if I did that. But, uh, you know, we, I take her back, got there, 22 hours there and back. And when I got home, um, there was this conversation I had with my dad where I just said, hey, this is not what I expected to happen. And he said, Mike, any time in your life when God does something that you didn't expect, he typically has something better. And I could say for 100% guaranteed, 2020 vision looking back, that God brought me. I met my now wife a year and a half later after that. I couldn't see what God was doing. But I just wanted to say, man, I wish I had the lens to see things when it didn't turn out the way I thought. God has something better. If you follow what the Lord has in front of you, if you follow his plan, he always has something better. And it's in uh, Genesis 50, 20. If you want to pull it up for me, it says this, and this is going to be at the end of the, the message, Genesis 50, 20. Um, if it's not on there, that's fine. It says this, Genesis 50, 20, that um, as, as you meant it for evil, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Um, and we, when we get to the end of the story of Joseph, all these things that are going to be happening to this individual, this biblical character in the Bible, real stuff that actually happened, um, he gets to the end and he says, man, all my brothers and all these people who did harm to me, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Because something that I believe a lot of us in this room need to hear tonight is this. God still has a plan for your life. Not that he had one. He currently has one. No matter what you've done, where you've come from, all the maybe mistakes you've made, maybe things that, man, you wish nobody knew about, but if they did know about, would kind of question why you're even here. Like, he still has a plan for your life. And what I've noticed is, even in my own life, the older I get, I feel like, man, maybe I just, maybe I missed it one time, or if I missed it this time, now he's just kind of done with me. And that is not how God works. He currently has a plan for your life, because this is what God does with your life and with my life. He makes straight lines with crooked sticks. He takes lives that are crooked and kind of messed up and inconsistent, and he makes straight lines with crooked sticks. It's in Ecclesiastes 1, uh, verse 15. Uh, another writer, Solomon, he says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And that is an absolute lie. It's true that he said it. It's true that it's God, God's word. But it is not true when it comes to your life or to my life. You see, if, it was, if God only used people that were perfect and squeaky clean, um, a lot of us in here tonight, we, we missed it. 
We missed it. And for those of you who would say, man, I resonate with that side of the story, and I kind of come with a different background, different set of stories. Um, for those of you who would say, man, I, I mean, you know, for me, my life's been kind of good. I, I, you know, when I got out of the womb, I got baptized. I'm kind of Jesus 2.0, haven't made many mistakes. Like, you're just killing it. If that's you, um, I'd like to meet you, number one. Number two, um, this series or this talk for you could be, man, someone in my life needs to be reminded that God makes straight lines with crooked sticks. God takes broken lives, he takes people just like you and I who are messed up, made mistakes, and he says, hey, I want to use you. I want to use you. I want to do something in your life. And he takes this man, Joseph, this young man, this boy at a time, and he says, hey, I want to use you. I want to do something through your life. And Joseph does some things and some principles that I think all of us can apply. So uh, if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're there, Genesis uh, 37. Um, the first thing I want to point out is this, and the first point I have, I just have three lessons tonight uh, from his beginnings or from his start. Um, the first one is this, doing your job can get you tr- in trouble at times. Just doing your job can get you in trouble at times. And let's talk about this. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob, who is his father, lived in the land of his father, sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, just think about this for a second. He is 17, and think back to when you were 17. Some of you, that's a few years ago. Some of you, decades, millennial, whatever. Think about when you were 17 years old and where you were as an individual. The only thing I remember when I was 17, uh, I was, it's clear as day when I was 17 years old, I was doing work for my dad. Uh, him and me and an employee got in a fight, and we were arguing about things, and we were arguing about whatnot. He fired me on the spot, and I was like, how do you fire me? I live at your house. Like, what am I going to do? So I went home, and I, I remember talking with my mom, and he came home, and we're fighting and yelling, and I put a hole in the wall with my head because I was so mad. That's, that was me at 17. So just to, for some of you, you could relate. If you could put on script you as a 17-year-old or me as a 17-year-old, really not at your best, Right? Like, some, I'd be in jail if they found out all the stuff you did when you were 17. Like, just lock you up. 17, he is a young man, and he is very immature, but this is the type of man God uses. This is what it says. 17 was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of, Zil, of Bilhah and, Zil, and Zilpha, his father's wives. Um, sometimes, jo, or, uh, Joseph is the only one who gets the bad rap. He's the one who kind of makes the mistakes, and we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about his father for a second. His father, Jacob, or Israel, it's interchangeable, he is not necessarily killing it either. Like, he got two wives. I mean, I got one, and that's kind of full-time for me. I don't know about you. I don't know if you got two, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, two, three, whatever. But he's got two wives, so he's not necessarily killing it, right? So he sends Joseph out. He's pasturing the flock, and this is what it says. His father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them, or of them, to their father. And this is where he gets in trouble. He's just doing his job. He found out something about his brothers. He found out something was going on. And he said, hey, yo, dad, this is what I heard. We don't know what the bad report is. And now I'm not promoting uh, butt kissing. I'm not promoting brown. I'm not promoting any of that, right? Like, I mean, if you were, you know, if you tell on people, you kind of get just beat up, just depending on where you're at. But he's just doing his job, Right? He's just doing, he said, hey, dad, I don't, and, and no commentaries, no, no one's going to say exactly what the bad report is. We don't know. But he's just doing his job. He just said, hey, so-and-so said this, so-and-so did, did this, and dad, I'm just letting you know. 
I'm just letting you know. I'm just telling you. I don't know exactly what happened. I heard he did this, and he beat, he beat him up. He made him do this. I don't know. You just, just imagine what's taking place. And it says in verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of an old age. Uh-oh. He loved him more. Whose fault is that? Is that Joseph's? That ain't his fault. That ain't his fault. And the fault, Joseph, or, uh, Jacob or Israel loves him more. They're interchangeable. He loves him more because he's old and it's the, youngest, it's the youngest son. Now, I don't know how many of you in here are the youngest, but I'm the youngest of five. And people, my sisters and brothers, will be like, you had it easy. They gave up on you. Do whatever you want. No curfew. Drive, whatever. And I was like, that, that ain't my fault. That ain't my fault. I mean, they kind of, you know, by the fifth kid, it was kind of just like, keep them alive. They're good? All right. Check the pulse. Get them out of here. Like, that, that's kind of how it went. And that's not his fault. But listen to this, favoritism, and we're going to talk about this in your discussion, favoritism can and will destroy friendships and families. And as, as fathers, some of you in here as fathers, the call is never, ever, ever to be perfect. But I do believe the call is to be impartial, to not have any favoritism, James would say. Within the church, in Proverbs 24, 23, that partiality is not good. All of you have experienced that on some level. Maybe in a workplace, maybe even in the church, God help us, you've experienced it somewhere where someone showed favoritism and you were on the outside looking in and you said, that's not right. Favoritism divides and separates. And there's always a good type of favoritism. There is. Like, you should uh, love family a little bit more than your friends. No one's going to beat you up for that. You should love and look out for people within your family more than, more, more than your friends or whatever. There should be that type of favoritism. But in a family context, favoritism will always divide and separate. Always. And he says this of his old age, And he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that, the, that their father loved him more than all their brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him peacefully. So what I did was um, I actually went out and got a colored robe. Um, this is pretty uh, flamboyant. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, but I'm just going to put it on for sake of illustrative purposes. So here's what happened. The father gives him a robe. Actually, funny story, I got this robe today from a lady, Becky, uh, at Akron, Co no, Debbie at Akron Costume. She's like, what's the story of Joseph? And I was like, glad you asked. Share the story. You ever heard of Jesus? Uh, what about him? So I got to share, pray for Debbie. She's getting saved when I take this thing back. Anyway, um, this, is, this is the robe that, yeah, seriously, I, I fully believe that's going to happen. Because she was like, really, Joseph? The, I didn't know that. I thought it was a theater story. That's in the Bible, yeah. So anyway, he gets this robe, and he just put it on, man. He just showed up. He didn't ask for the robe. He didn't demand the robe. He didn't demand that his father would love him more because he'd give him this. He just simply put it on. And what does it do? It divides. It divides. For those of you in business, if you show favoritism to someone simply because you like them but not because they're harder workers, it always divides. In a family context, if I show favoritism to my daughter or future kids simply because I, they're the youngest or because of their status, it will always divide. But the thing I want to pull out is this. Joseph is shown favoritism simply from doing his job, and his brothers hate him. They hate him. And some of you maybe have experienced that before. 
or you've went through a, a series in your life where maybe someone showed you favoritism and it caused division. And one thing I want to say about this, we do not serve a God that shows any favoritism. Romans 2 would say, a God who shows no partiality. If you're in here tonight and you feel like God does not love you or care about you because you've made some mistakes, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God loves each and every one of us equally, but when you become family, he loves you even more. That he doesn't show favoritism. And sometimes, Joseph, just doing his job gets him in trouble. And that's the worst just did what I was supposed to do. I brought the report back, but it was a bad report, and now my brothers want to beat me up. So let's look at verse 5. Let's keep going. I want to talk about how some things are better unsaid. Some things are better unsaid. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. It's not his fault he had a dream. He had the dream. That is not his fault. Is it his fault that he told them? Maybe. We'll talk about that. And they hated him even more, and he said to them, Here, this dream that I have dreamed, he's going to get beat up. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are indeed you to rule over us? So they hated him even more for, the, for his dream and his words. Duh. Right? Just, yeah, you can't pull that stunt. Try it with your wife one time. Hey, I had a dream last night, and it was just you serving me all the time. I didn't get up for a week. You just did. I, I, I wrote you. I texted you the list of what I wanted, and you just, you did. You bowed down to me. I mean, you're going to get beat up, right? And so this, he tells them the dream, and because he's 17, he don't know. He's like, yeah, I had this dream. I'm going to tell you about it. They didn't even ask him, and so then he says, yeah, let me tell you about the other one. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, this one's worse, man. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and even the stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mothers and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So it's one of those things, it's like, it's, is it wrong that he shared it? I don't know. I don't know. Did God say this to him or give him this dream? Absolutely. But some things are better unsaid. He's walking around like Lion King. I just can't wait to be king, right? He's chanting, pounding his chest, and he's like, hey, guys, imagine sitting at your table and someone's like, hey, I had this dream. And God told me that the sun and the moon and all you guys are going to bow down and worship me. You would be like, you cocky, you know, everybody just, you know, getting ready to knock someone out. And that's what he's portraying. Now, here's what I want to make very clear tonight. Should he have said it, I don't know. Hindsight, if Joseph was here today, if he's, you know, I've got the coat on, whatever he looks like, he, if he showed up, he'd probably be like, yeah, man, when I was 17, I told my brothers this dream, and I probably should have just kept my mouth shut. I probably should have just kept that to myself. I didn't know. I was kind of unwise at the time. I was super zealous, and I had this dream. I just come out of my bed in the morning. I just told them everything. Some things are better unsaid. Now, the application or the principle for us to apply is this. 
God has not told any of you or, or me that anyone is bowing down to you or any type of thing like that. And sheaves, I don't know what that is. It's like a thing in the fields, you know, stuff like that. Or the sun and the moon. God has not told you that. That would be inconsistent with how he reveals to us now today through his word. But I do believe the application or the principle is this. Even though something might be true, it goes better unsaid. Have you ever tried to correct uh, a family member? Ah, oh. you know, they remember that one time you cussed at them back in the day, and they're like, you're not a creep, you did this. And they'll pull out that one thing that you forgot about, and they'll start bringing up stuff. Sometimes, even if something is true, um, and I, I've had to talk to my dad about this before, he's like, man, I can't even tell my kids something. I try and tell you guys something, and it's like white noise, you don't even hear it. And the kids, your parents, you'll say something, and some of you have shared this with me. They're like, can you talk to my kid? Because if you say it, it's like revelation, but if I say it, it's stupid. Right? Some things are better unsaid. Even though something might be true, it takes wisdom to discern. I was dating my current wife now, uh, and we were at Bible college together, and we were riding on the back of a Jeep uh, through campus. And as we were riding through, uh, I, I didn't know, buddies of mine were shooting off water balloons from the, from the porch and hitting cars and stuff like that. And So anyway, I, we were driving through, and little did I know, we're coming down, and this water balloon comes and just nails her right in the face. Just, I mean, smacked right in the face, and we stopped. You know, I'm in seminary, supposed to be a pastor. I'm about to fight this dude. I'm, like, calling him out in the thing, and, like, I'm going to beat you up right now. And so didn't fight him, praise God. And so uh, I take my wife, or my girlfriend at the time, we walk away, and I'm helping her out. And I'm kind of an impatient guy, so it's, like, ten minutes in. I got ice, what towel, whatever, you good, bloody nose, black eyes, like, developing. And for whatever ungodly reason, I was like, hey, you good? You done? You done yet? Can we go? You done yet? And she was like, am, am I done? I was like, oh, shoot, not bad. Okay, I'll take that one. And, I mean, how many times have you said something that is just, it, it might be true, but it's really just not worth saying? Maybe all of, I mean, for me, it's at least as a 26-year-old, it's on the daily. I'm like, uh, shut up. Shut up. No, that's exactly what goes in my mind. And I can't tell you how many times I leave a room and I'm like, why do I talk? Why do I talk? Why did I say that to her? I mean, before I left the house uh, to, today, I even said something about someone had brought us a meal and I mentioned something about the meal and it, was, it wasn't wrong. It's just then my wife's like, well, what about my cooking? And, all and I was like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have even said that. Like, you know, and you just kind of mess it up. You know what I'm talking about? And some things just better go unsaid. But here's the thing I would say is hard for this principle. It always is a wisdom thing, and sometimes you need other people's advice. It's Proverbs eleven fourteen. In the abundance of counselors, there's safety. If you got a situation at work, or you got a situation with a family member, a wife, a daughter, a son, and you're like, hey, they're gonna they're gonna make some big mistake, and it's true. I want to say something, but I don't know how to say it. Maybe I shouldn't even say it. Maybe you got to take it to someone else. Say, hey, what do you think I should do? It's true, they should not be doing this one thing, but I need some help here. Some things are better unsaid. I think if Joseph was here tonight, he'd look at us and be like, man, the dream happened. It actually is going to take place later on in the story, but man, my brother's trying to kill me for that. Some things are better unsaid. Let's look at this uh, third principle. Let the chips fall as they may. 
Let the chips fall as they may. I'm not going to pick up in verse 12. Verse 12 to 17 is simply him doing his job again. His dad sends him to Dothan. It's about a 50-mile journey. He says, yeah, dad, I'll go. His dad says, hey, go find the other brothers. He said, all right, I'll go get them. So he goes to get them. Let's pick up in verse 18. So they, being the brothers, saw him from afar. And before he came near, they conspired to kill him. Has he technically done anything wrong? No. So I want to talk about here for a little bit the idea of maintaining character when unjust things have happened to you. It's not, I mean, my heart goes out to Joseph because I'm the younger brother. Some of you older ones in here will be like, yeah, I'd kill that mug. Like he says, says that kind of stuff to me. Joseph, nothing, he has not done anything wrong technically. And they said to one another, verse 19, here comes the dreamer. Here he comes. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say, a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see that we will see what will become of his dreams. I'm going to spend one of the weeks here where I'm just going to take a step back, and we're going to look at uh, the brothers, and we're going to talk about the mistake that they made and the lie that they had to use to cover up the lie, to cover up the other one, to cover up the other one. And what do you do if you get stuck in a spot where you have made stacked mistakes and you feel like, man, I don't even know how to get out of this. There's consequences. We're going to spend a whole night just talking about that. But for tonight, let's stay in with Joseph. Verse 21. But when Reuben, who is the oldest of the twelve, heard it, he rescued him out of the hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood and throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And then he gives a commentary that he... Reuben might rescue him, Joseph, out of their hand to restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. This pit, this pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their, with their camels bringing gum and balm. And I have no idea what that has to do with the story. But anyway, on their way, they carry it down to Egypt. Verse 26, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now that Judah, or Reuben, being the oldest of the brother, brothers, he looks at the situation. He's like, hey, guys. Let's not kill him. Like, let's not kill him. He's the youngest. Like, he kind of stands in the gap for them. This is what Reuben does. And then the other brother, Judah, is like, yeah, yeah, let's not kill him. But, like, let's try and get some money or something. Like, I got a car to buy soon. It's coming, wedding's coming up. Like, I got to buy something. And this is what he says. And the Ishmaelites, and let not, or, or, yeah, let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then, the, then Midian traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him up out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Uh, 20 shekels of silver would be roughly around a day 180 bucks. And if I was Joseph, I'd be like, that's it? You're going to sell me like 1,000 something? Like I can work? I mean, you guys, I mean, you got 12 brothers chilling there, 180. That's, that is not a lot. I'd be, like, disrespected by that if I was Joseph. I'd be like, that's all you boys want? Like, something. So he sells them out. And here's why I want to talk about letting the chips fall where they may. Joseph is seeing all this take place. It's not fair. doesn't make sense. Not really what he wants it to be. But here's what Joseph's going to do, and we're going to see throughout this story. He simply allows life to happen in front of him and all these things taking place. And he maintains character. He maintains his integrity. 
and he does what he can with what's been, what's been put in front of him. I want to talk about this, a parallel, which I think is a great connection, Ecclesiastes um, 10. Go ahead and pull it up. It says this, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. So here's what this writer Solomon is saying, and this, this is the application of this. He said, hey, there's a guy, every day he wakes up, 5 a.m., hits the alarm clock, heads off to work. He's done it for 40 years. He gets there this day, he digs, he digs ditches, and when he digs them this day, guess what? A snake comes out and bites him, kills him, and he dies. What's he supposed to do? Second man, he quarries stones, he makes bricks, he builds walls, and when he gets there this day, as he's doing it, they break and they fall down and they kill him. You're like, man, that's, what's that? Depressing stuff. Here's the principle that is here with this. Life is unpredictable and sometimes hard. Sometimes you, you, can't, you can't pick what you got coming your way. You can't pick um, the trials that God sends you. You can't determine how you want this thing to work out and this situation with the in-laws to figure out and this one uh, with your mom and dad to work out and this one. Sometimes you just wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? With one phone call away, life is unpredictable and hard. One text away, everything just kind of shifts. And here's the, here's the point that I want to talk about. It says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. And here's, I think this is so key right here, tying in with Joseph. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So he's saying, hey, there's a guy who charms serpents. He plays the flute. This time, if he doesn't play the flute, what happens? The snake bites him and he dies. Duh. And here's what I think the application is. How good is it if you want to be godly, but you never do anything about it? My want-tos will turn into I wish I would-haves if I'm not careful. I want, as a 26-year-old man, I want to love my wife well. I want to get to the end and say, man, I loved her for 45, 50, whatever God gave me. I want to love my kids well, and by God's grace, I hope they don't, I hope they just love Jesus. I don't even care how it happens. I want them to. You're like, you're a pastor. Good luck, bro. Yeah, I want that to happen. I want to teach the Bible. I want to see people come to faith in Christ. But listen, if my want-tos are just I want-tos, they will turn into I wish I would-haves. Sometimes I gotta, you got to put forth effort, and i got to tell myself, man, what can I control? Joseph, he is getting thrown in the pit, sold uh, to Egypt. He's going to go be a slave, and everything thrown his way, he just says, man, i got to let the chips fall as they may. i got to let the chips fall as they may. Even though I want to be godly, if I don't do anything about it, it will never happen. Even though I want my marriage to, to go well, if I don't do anything about it, it's not going to do that. Even though I want to be this type of man one day, if I just say I want to, it will turn into, man, I wish I would have done that. If I never restore the relationship with that individual, man, I'll be 40 years old, I'll be like, man, why didn't I do that? And to encourage you, hopefully, hopefully, if you're in here tonight and you're like, man, I am in the I wish I would have stage. Why not tonight? Why not today? It's the best time to start. Best time. The first time you realize is, man, I'm 50, 60 years old. I wish I would have said something to my son, but I never did. Why not today? Man, I've lived my life showing favoritism, and it kind of messed everything up. Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the right decision today. 
I'm going to, with the chips as they've fallen as they may, what's been given to me, where I am now when I realize that, I'm going to do something with that. And Reuben is the man who stands in the gap for Joseph. I think all of us, maybe, depending on where you're at tonight, you would look at a time when you'd say, man, I needed a Reuben in my life. Craig talked a couple weeks ago about encouragement and the one guy, Onessa Fasaurus, and the one, you know, I don't even know, the dinosaur guy, about how we need an encourager and how you have to encourage someone else, how you need someone in your life like that. And I think pulling this side of the story, Reuben, you all needed or need a Reuben in your life. Someone who just says, hey, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. And if you're not, if you're on the other side, maybe God's asking you to be a Reuben for someone. Asking you to, hey, I know this is going on in your life. I want to let you know I'm here for you. I want to let you know. I know life is just going way downhill, and I don't know how all this is going to pan out, but I want to let you know I want to stand in the gap for you. I want to be the person who helped you out of the pit because I remember what it was like when I was in the pit. I felt like no one cared. I felt like no one reached out to me, and I'm doing that for you right now. For some of you, you're here tonight because someone got you out of the pit, and they're in this room. They're at this church. They're in your family. That one guy you remember, man, where, when I was just a mess, he's the one that did that for me. And in reality, the one who does that for us every single day and the one who's done that for our salvation is Jesus Christ. He has stood in the gap. He has been the one when you were in the pit who literally picked you out of the pit when you were unable to do anything on your own. And he does that for you when you fall in. Sometimes you're like, you guys are like, man, I've been in the... I feel like I'm in the pit every Monday morning. Like I feel like that's just week in, week out, or maybe I made this bad mistake, or maybe I did this, or, man, I didn't even want this for me, but it just kind of happened. And God's like, man, that's, I show no partiality. If you would ask, I would simply forgive and restore and get you out of the pit, because that is the kind of God we serve. So what I want to do is, as you guys, we turn to your tables, there's three questions, and all three kind of reflect the three ideas we've talked about the idea of favoritism, the idea of something being be- something unsaid is better sometimes or someone else to say it, and then the idea of Reuben and kind of uh, standing in the gap or someone helping you out of the pit. So I'm going to give you 10, 15 minutes and take your time uh, at your tables. Well, hopefully you had um, some good discussion at your tables about those three ideas and maybe... Maybe at least someone can relate to a few, to at least one of those where you guys had some good discussion about favoritism, about things better unsaid, and also just needing someone <clears throat> in your life to kind of stand in the gap or to help you out of the pit. And what I want to make sure is very clear, and I was just thinking about this, was I hope that this series for you or this story in this life of Joseph as we talk about this is something that encourages you and challenges you no matter where you are in your journey or in your faith journey, or no matter where you are in your relationship with God, if you have one, if you don't, you trying to figure things out, I hope you're able to say, man, um, even though I haven't done this, I want to start doing this today. Man, I haven't done the whole favoritism thing really well, and you know what, I probably should start. Or man, the thing's better unsaid, I've kind of messed up in this one area, I need to maybe apologize to this one sibling or this one son or daughter or child, whatever, and maybe I need to kind of move forward in this direction. And maybe for some of you, the Reuben one where you're just like, man, I wish I had someone to stand in the gap. I wish I had a Reuben in my life. And if you're there tonight, I do fully believe with my whole heart that if you would say, man, 
I need a Reuben. I believe if you pray for that, I am totally convinced that God will send you someone in your life. If you keep coming here, if you reach out to someone, if you feel like, man, everything just seems like it's unjust things have happened to me. It's always wrong. It's always my fault. I didn't do this, and I just need someone. I'm in a tough spot. I believe if you pray that, God will send that individual your way. And also, if you feel that way spiritually, where you're just like, man, I am in the pit. I feel like I've tried to follow God before. It didn't really turn out the way I thought. I've asked him things before, and it seems like he didn't really give me what I thought I needed. And this whole God thing for me is just so, it it seems like it's not fair because I've felt like I tried hard, and he didn't really give me what I wanted. And the only thing that God wants from each and every one of us to start that relationship with him is that you would confess and believe. And that is what Jesus wants to do for each and every one of us here tonight, that you would accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and he literally takes you out of the pit, and you start a relationship with him. That is what God has done in my life. That is what God has done with a lot of men in this room with their life. And if you would say, man, I need that. I need to start that journey because my expectations of life, they went wild. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I thought. You know, and this happened to me and this happened to me. And I I just need a fresh start. It says in the Bible that if when you become in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if you're here tonight, there is no better time than now for you to make that decision, to not leave tonight until you get right with God, until you figure that thing out. And I want to close this out tonight, and as as we leave, I just want to let you know this story of Joseph, where we're going. Next week is going to be Genesis uh, 39, and we're going to talk about, man, what do you do if a woman just throws herself at you? How would you respond, and what do you do if that has happened? And, you know, how, how, how would you wish you reacted like Joseph, and how he did it, and some principles we can apply. And, man, if you've messed up tremendously, and everything's just a mess What do you do with that? And so next week we're going to talk about that. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider, man, I want to be here for this series. And I know someone in my life that is in a pit and I need to be a Reuben for them. And I want to invite them. I want to bring them. I mean, I just want to maybe just trick them. Like come to church and there's food. And yeah, we Bible study. Yeah, I don't know. Just come, man. Like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Just someone that you would say, man, God, who is it in my life that needs to be here? Let me pray for us and we can head out of here tonight. God, I ask that you would um, help each and every one of us to think through in our own life where we're at with you. That we would not be uncertain of that, but that we would be sure. God, that there'd be someone in this room that they've really never made that decision wholeheartedly and they've never accepted Christ, that they would make that decision before they leave tonight, that they would get right with you. They would talk to someone who invited them, talk to someone at their table. God, would you just press upon their heart that that needs to be done tonight. God, for us here tonight, as we look at Joseph and just looked at how, as we get to see how consistent he is, he's one of the only out of three Old Testament characters where he was considered blameless. He just had integrity about him. He maintained it through trials. God, would you give us in this room a spiritual backbone to handle things that come our way that are just not fair? Maybe we just do our job, something happens, someone says something bad about us, it's, it's not right. Would you give us wisdom when things are better unsaid? Would you help us to discern favoritism and what that looks like? Maybe we need to talk to someone and, and, and maybe apologize to someone else. And, and God, would you help us, and myself included, to look at people in our life and say, man, they need a Reuben, and I need to be that for them. 
Because without Reuben, Joseph doesn't make it very far. All of us need that at certain times in life. And so, God, would you help us tonight to leave with that in mind? And would you help us to be men of encouragement? Would you help us to be men who walk with you? And, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.